talking about a bunch of sickos. Metal rejects running wild in our streets. We're talking about kids, 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 kids like yours and mine. Ha, I'm damn sure they aren't mine. Gentlemen, please. The banker's hot tonight, the city by the bay. As movie stars and liquor stores and soft decay. The rumbling from distant shores sends me to sleep But the facts of life can sometimes make it hard to dream Life rocked me like Motley Grabbed me by the ribbons in my hair Life rocked me ultra softly Like the heaven from if you just take apart the words you know basically is to reduce harm mm-hmm. so uh, we're specifically talking about the community of people who use substances mm-hmm. i honestly don't like referring to people as addicts because of the stigma associated with it um and there's a lot of people who use substances that are beautiful people and mm-hmm. they are put into a box because of that word yeah, definitely. so um i try to refrain from that but so harm reductionist really is to reduce the harm done to my people my people that i love and that i care about yeah and right now we have a war on drugs it's prohibition it's yeah. criminalizes people it stigmatizes people and people are dying because of it and harm reduction is really looking at that, having the realistic point of view of this is a very well-intentioned policy, maybe, mm-hmm. of, you know, hey, we want to try and cure addiction and we want this to be a drug-free society. I mean, that's very well-intentioned. It's yeah. also unrealistic. Completely so, unrealistic. People have been using substances since the beginning of time. So harm reduction sort of recognizes that right. and says – this is not a war on drugs because what that makes is a war on people. And instead let's make this a war on drug related deaths. Let's make this a war on drug related crime and poverty. You know, let's reduce the negative ramifications and unintended consequences that is a result because of the war on drugs. And we try to harm reduction. One of the famous kind of statements is you meet someone where they're at and you stay with them there. And with, I think a lot of bureaucratic programs, abstinence programs, they do work for some people and that's awesome, but they're not meeting everyone where they're at. They are forcing someone to get to a place where they want them to be, to be controlled at. And maybe they can do it 
for eight months, a year, maybe they can only do it for two months, who knows? Um, but unless you're meeting people where they're at, you're not going to have that long-term lifelong success. Definitely. I couldn't agree more with that. I think me and Ryan would always constantly talk about our experiences in in the drug court program, especially. And, and I think the best way I would able, was able to describe it is like, it's like being in like, it's like being a square peg and they're trying to jam you through a round hole and they're trying to mold you into what, you know, they want your your recovery to be whether you are ready for that idea or not or whether you're in a place with your life where you've you know addressed you know past life traumas or or whatever and I almost felt like they were kind of just like you know getting sandpaper and kind of like sanding down you know what made us unique as people and sanding those corners off just so we could be fitting through this kind of like just you know mold of of what People who I, I mean, I thought many of them didn't, weren't addicts and knew very little about addiction in itself anyway, uh, what they thought, you know, we should have, we should like be coming out on the other end of their programs. And the, the dropout rate and the fallout rate and the failure rate from drug court was so astronomically low or actually it was high. I mean, the failure rate was high and, and the success rate was so low. I didn't understand how this program was even getting funding to continue at, at, at all. Um, but I mean, I guess when some, some people shine more light onto it, there's a lot more underlining issues that would, um, provide more reasoning for why such programs would stay in place. Maybe, you know, I mean, I'm trying to always veer away from being a conspiracy theorist, but, um, (laughs) especially because of like, you know, wonderfully, vibrantly, colorful people like Alex Jones. <laughs> you know, but um, it's like, I mean, when you have privatized prisons out there, it's it, I think a lot of those corporations, because they are corporations, they're incentivized to turn people who have been labeled a criminal and they're trying to extort or extract profits out of them as people. And it's kind of like how that, isn't equated to slavery in my opinion is, is, um, it's kind of confusing cause that's, that's exactly what it looks like to me. And, um, you know, it, the, the practices that go on within, within our, our government to try and remedy the situation, it's just like the prohibition of alcohol, but it's almost like it's ramped up like at a size so much, so much larger than prohibition even and um, I just don't understand. Oh, well, this is prohibition. This yeah, is the exactly. war on drugs. Exactly. I mean, that's what it is. Um, There's so, I mean, you're talking about the whole history and structure of the war on drugs. And yeah. absolutely, it's a profit-making business, um, generally for those in prosecution, DA offices. It's mm-hmm. for law enforcement, um, supervision, probation, and parole. It's for private prisons. It's for all Bail of bonds, men. A lot of people yeah. make a lot of money out of this. Yeah. Um, that's why most jails, 40% of the people in there are uh, supervision cases. Basically, people who are on probation or parole who have violated and then who yeah. are going back in. It's a rotating door. And the war on drugs, I mean, it absolutely, that's why I think harm reductionists are, or at least I am, I can't speak for everyone, (laughs) against, they are for ending the war on drugs. Because the war on drugs, it really started 
honestly, um, right after Prohibition Mm -hmm. uh, with Henry Anslinger. He was the guy that was appointed from 1930 to 1962. And he basically, because before that, people need to understand about drugs. Before that, doctors were prescribing um, opiates to consumers that would pick it up at pharmacies. And back then... Uh, people who would use and consume opiates, Coca-Cola had cocaine in it. Yep. Um, obviously, there were some debilitating effects, just like alcoholics, you know, yeah. when you consume too much. Obviously, that happened. But by and large, people had jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't poorer than the rest of society. There wasn't all of this associated crime. None of that was happening. And there's actually a book that talks about it. Um, by a doctor, um, Henry Smith Williams. He wrote it in the 30s, and it was called Drug Addicts Are Human Beings. And so he used to be, and no one has read this book, he used to be um, kind of this Darwinist who almost was like, hey, drug addicts die, whatever, I don't care. But (laughs) he was prescribing it, like many of these doctors at that time, you know, in the teens and 20s were prescribing substances to people because it wasn't in the black market yet. It only gets in the black market with prohibition. Exactly. And so he was doing that. He was talking to these people. And then he saw the wave, how it changed once Mm -hmm. it became criminalized. And by the way, how California was one of the last states to hold out on prohibition of drugs and how it ended up turning with policymakers was the Chinese gangs that were trafficking in trafficking in drugs basically worked with the narcotics law enforcement agencies in California's to get the politicians to work with them to make the war on drugs happen. And that's why, why would that happen? Why would illegal gangs and law enforcement agencies and politicians all work together? It's because they profit off of it. They They always have. It's not doctors and medical facilities. It's in the hands of when it's black market in the hands of illicit and um, criminal activity, basically. And what he found was once um, he stopped basically prescribing things, the most popular way of consuming opiates was Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup. You know, once (laughs) that kind of happened, prohibition kicks in. Um, Now all the criminal gangs are taking over the drug industry first thing they did was jack up the prices massively by like a thousand percent because of course no one's going to risk going to prison um if they're not making anything right so they jack up the prices and then that creates crime and then that creates a second wave of crime where these people who are consuming their substances legally now women are resorting to prostitution men are resorting to stealing and criminal activity in order to pay for these substances that have now you know, gone skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. And so this doctor basically writes about this book and seeing how it changed from when this was, when we treated people who used substances as people Mm -hmm. and with love and medicine and evidence-based policies, as opposed to then when we made it prohibition and we criminalized it all. And he found that that was, you know, in his opinion, a massive mistake. And he even said when he saw it, he said, if we continue with this policy for the next 50 years, 50 years from now, we'll have a $5 billion smuggling industry in the United States. And he was exactly right. Um, And I think a thing that a lot of people forget is also during that time when we started doing the war on drugs, there was a crackdown on doctors. Um, Back then? Yeah. Anslinger. 
Henry Anslinger um, basically did a whole crackdown on doctors and over 17,000 doctors were arrested in the United States because the doctors were the original ones prescribing it. Yeah. And we, they started cracking down. And that's why when we look at the opioid crisis today and we think and policymakers think we're going to crack down on doctors, they're not going to prescribe as much anymore. But what we always find after they do huge crackdown on doctors, drug overdose deaths skyrocket. Because if you're not helping people treat their supply and demand, you know, they have mm -hmm. this product that they need, they're going to go to the black market. Exactly. And, and you're basically handing the mo monopoly over them to them. Yeah. Exactly. And those are the unintended consequences of a lot of the war on drugs that people often overlook, even though it might be well-intentioned, that's it's being overlooked. I think a lot. I mean, I think some people actually do ha are are sincere and have, you know, like you said, uh, good intentions. But I think a lot. Of, I mean, it, I it's it's just kind of strange and and confusing to me because it's like I've been looking. I'm I'm hate history except when it comes to like scandal and like controversy <laughs> like this. So I'm like always fascinated about that part. And I was in history class like, well, why don't you guys talk about this? But um, it's so amazing how we've kind of repeated what we were even doing back in the thirties full swing. And we're continuing to make the same mistakes that we were making back then. Um, Absolutely. and, and, um, I, it's kind of like, I would be in jail in custody arguing with correction officers who would, who would, who they would, they would, they would say to me, I'd be in debating with them, you know, even in LA County, I'd be like, they'd think if uh, heroin was legal, that there would just be complete chaos and, and all this like horrible things and everyone would be hooked on heroin and running amok in the streets. And it's like, well, it's kind of happening right now and drugs are legal and you're, it's like, it's crazy how a law has, has no merit on whether someone is going to make a, a decision regarding their own body, you know? And, um, it's, it, it's, it's, it's caused our, you know, our neighboring countries, the cartels within them are able to have so much more profits and build so much more power that now it's not just bribing politicians. It's, it's like, causing like mass like genocide and murder in some of these, you know, country areas, little towns and neighboring areas and, and banks. Like I, there was that one bank that was, that people were able to like, um, make, uh, what was it transactions and, and put their money in without getting, you know, their account frozen. And yeah. And it's led into and bled into kind of the corporate, you know, world of things. And, how we're not aware of our surroundings right now, or at least what I like to refer to as the normies, like how it's, it's kind of like twilight zone, like aesthetic to me. It's just like, we already knew what this, we already saw this happen already. It's, it's not, it's like nothing new. And yet we still are, I guess, distracted through propaganda and media, but... And it, well, it, policymakers have to be the most pretentious people I know. That's why I got oh into policy. Yeah. <laughs> because they sit agree. in their little ivory towers and they go, I'm going to create policy and it's going to be best for everyone. Haha, <laughs> even though I have no idea what yeah. anyone really is dealing with. And that was always yeah. interesting to me is sitting in these stakeholder meetings, these bureaucratic mm -hmm. collaborative stakeholder meetings, is that we're going to talk about how a drug addict or someone re-entering into society from incarceration, how they can be successful. But you know, the one person who is always missing from those meetings is mm -hmm. that person. 
the person that we're trying to talk about and have policy about. Yeah. And yeah, they don't want to the hear DA's their judges and sheriffs and behavioral health therapists, and you can have everyone else in that room, but you're not going to have the one person who should be there, um, who should be empowered to have the resources that best fit their community. I maybe I'm crazy, but if you want to help people who use drugs, you give them the resources and the empowerment to help themselves because yeah. the people who are surviving on this people have been saving lives. Hands down, you know, if someone were to tell me I'm going to give you a million dollars for Narcan, where are you going to put it? I wouldn't say I'm going to give it to 911 officials and this and that. I'd say I would give it to people who are using substances exactly. in their loved ones. Because they're more they're likely the to be around it and exposed lives. to it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't put it other places. You don't waste your time. And we're not doing that. And we I actually was working with a guy in Sacramento because mm -hmm. we collaborated before on a grant and uh, he respected kind of my alternative viewpoint, <laughs> I uh -huh. guess you could say. Um, and he was working with policymakers and he said, look, these are the policies we're doing. We want to try and, you know, get rid of all these overdose deaths that are happening and we want to try and change things. And these are the laws that we're thinking of. Mm -hmm. And they were all very well-intentioned but they were so fucking out of touch with reality <laughs> they were basically criminalizing and cracking down on doctors which like i said has unintended ramifications yeah, of turning definitely. people to illicit substances oh, yeah. you know if i'm taking five dilatids a day and then all of a sudden i now i can't what do you think i'm gonna do i'm just gonna kick cold turkey i mean come on most no. people are not gonna do that at all no and, they, and most people don't even know how to how to kick or wean off of or taper off of the drugs they're hooked on anyway, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And they, um, so that was one. And another one that's very big in a lot of states right now mm -hmm. is something called drug-induced homicide, DIH, which basically mm. is um, I Fighting over I'm extreme selling corners. or I'm, I'm with someone and I give them a supply that ends up, they overdose from it. And so now I'm charged with a drug-induced homicide charge. Oh, oh, yeah. Like with fentanyl overdoses and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it. they think that that's going to stop people from overdosing because if I can be charged. <laughs> but what that's happening is now people are less likely to call 911, which they are in the first place. Because who wants to deal with the cops? Nobody. 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 <laughs> I mean, even law-abiding people don't want to deal exactly. with the cops. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. So it's just – it's um, – I think there's a lot of well-intentioned policy, but it's just – off from where it needs to be mm -hmm. and we do that by trying to criminalize it more and more and anytime someone says hey we should have syringe exchanges or hey we should have safe consumption sites mm -hmm. they go you're enabling addiction <laughs> you enabling uh, yeah. exactly i've um, heard that okay. so many times um, what I'm enabling is the fact that when people are choosing or have to, you know, because they are, they are now addicted to something, mm -hmm. um, I want them to live a life that's free of hep C and HIV. I want yeah. them to live a life where they're not getting abscesses on their necks and they don't want to go to the ER because the doctors there treat them like shit. You yep. know, I want to have a life where people can, I mean, I'm, aren't I an idealist, right? <laughs> well, it shouldn't be that way though. It should be that we, I mean, and the thing that I've seen about like diff people on polar opposite ends of the political spectrum is I've seen that they ultimately, when it comes down to it, they both want the same things, but they have entirely different um, methods or, 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 you know, ideas for going about and achieving it. And, um, 
it's so funny because it's it's like, you know, it. I've tied it in with so many other things where it's like, you know, if you're tr- like our our politicians are so stubborn and like you know listening to Trump talk about the opioid epidemic was just like, he was just so like on his ivory tower like trying to attempting to wax poetically about like he was woke about the situation and it's like he couldn't be more uh more like delusional about the whole world it's like he he doesn't even roam the streets let alone probably wipe his own ass and stuff like um i got got someone to wipe my ass for me yeah oh yeah he's probably got the like the world's most expensive (laughs) bidet like you know that like kisses his cheeks at the end of it you know um no, I mean, and and like, don't get me wrong. I didn't like Hillary either. I thought, you know, it's just. Yeah. I think, I think there's. It's it's like drug addiction and the way we go about handling it. I think is is one of many like major problems within our country. You know, it's it's just as is a problem as you know, what's causing people to 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 pick up a gun and and shoot up a school or or um, you know psychiatrists over prescribing. Um, antidepressants or even over prescribing chemotherapy or, you know, well, it, seems, and, it seems downright fucking anti-American, first of all, because yeah. if I want to put a substance in my body that's going to yeah. harm me, why the fuck can I? You're not going to go over to Joel Mick eats five Big Macs a day and say, hey, <laughs> hey, lard ass, I'm going to make that illegal because us taxpayers are sick and tired of paying for your heart surgeries. Yeah. I mean, no one is going to do that. It's because of stigma. All of this, all of the negative policy, all of the negative ramifications to me are because of stigma. If we mm-hmm. treated people who use substances as valued members of our community who we love, who are worthy of dignity and respect, mm-hmm. Everything would change. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I mean, and I, on you know, play devil's ad- advocate or look at the other side of the coin. And it's like I get where some people are coming from off out of their life experience. Maybe their cousin or their sister or brother are are struggling. And you know, some drug addicts or drug users I've in, you know have come across and had to you know encounter. They can be kind of annoying and kind of shady. And and I get that. But you know, you're not gonna. Um, you're not going to do anyone any good by outcasting them or making their life any more difficult, you know? And it seems like we're doubling down. Our country and our government are doubling down on, no, no, we need to demonize them and, and point the finger at someone else. Like, um, I was telling people this, like when I was living in LA and you would see, and I would be in Hollywood and you see the homeless population, there was like these weird, like, they're kind of like unmarked, uh, task force. They looked like security, but they were kind of like law enforcement and they would literally kidnap <laughs> and swoop up homeless people and, and take them out of Hollywood and drop them off in Skid Row and downtown because they wanted to make the appearance of like, Oh, LA is this like, you know, beautiful town and stuff. But yet we have the, the LA has got the worst homeless population like right now than, you know, record, you know, record breaking numbers in, and yeah. Skid, Skid Row has been around since the thirties, even though back then it was more alcoholics. It was just like, a lot of people and this whole gentrification aspect of, of what's going on in San Francisco. And um, it's like, they're not handling the problem. They're trying to sweep it under the rug. It seems, you know, and it's like when we already have this economic kind of downturn that we've facing and people are already having a criminal record and it's hard for them to find legitimate work. Of course, a lot of people are going to turn to selling drugs, you know, when it's like all they have to do is carry a crack rock or whatever from one corner to the other, 
and and it's just self-perpetuating it seems you know a lot of people used to say or there would be this argument about oh well is marijuana a gateway drug or or you know is it or not and and i i never thought it was but i thought well maybe it is a gateway drug because of the illicit black market that our government self-imposes on us where it's like if i'm going to buy some pot the guy who's probably selling it to me you know before prop 215 or whatnot he might have some cocaine as well or some ecstasy or this or that and that and by that aspect it can become a gateway drug but if it was legal and regulated and i walked into a dispensary or a store i'm not going to see illegal drugs you know somewhere that's licensed you know and the same thing with like the rave scene and um and what's been going on then, like in the 90s, I, I think XC was at least somewhat more safe because what I've been seeing now in some of these document, like documentaries, they would have the whole uh, judicial process to pass a bill into a law and, and, and make a, a, molecule, a molecule illegal for whatever drug. It's like such a long process that by the time they go through it all and they're like, oh, all right, well, this 2CB, 2CI or whatever, this is illegal now. All, all these um, research chemical places in China or, or whatever, they can just tweak the molecule just a little bit to the point where it's like, okay, well, now this is legal. And now it's going to take a, it's like a whack-a-mole kind of game where it's like, all right. Oh, well, absolutely. You yeah. know, and now we're creating and, and synthesizing even more harmful and more dangerous drugs that we don't know what the uh, uh, effects are, you know, overall. And, and it, it's just like, I don't, I would love for uh, like everybody to just stop playing well, that's what fucking you get in games. Regulated society. Yeah, and and fentanyl. I think fentanyl is like the direct direct result of the drug war. We're Absolutely. doing nothing to go after or decrease demand for the drugs, and we're trying to go only after supply. And when you go out do that, and you in the more <laughs> the, the the harsher convictions you make, you're just making drugs more expensive because people are going to charge more money because they're taking a greater risk. To, to bring them to your, you know, your front door. So it's, I, it's and people aren't, I mean, fentanyl, there's a lot of myths. There's a lot of things happening with fentanyl. Luckily it's not in California as much as the East coast. It is wiping people out on the East coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do not overdose by just touching fentanyl. All of that 911 EMT hysteria mm-hmm. is totally false. They have fentanyl test strips at syringe exchanges all across oh, the world. You know, mm-hmm. people are testing it all the time and touching it and it does not get absorbed just like that. There are t- patches oh. that they take an hour at least and mm-hmm. yeah. So that's a total myth on fentanyl. Well, what I have noticed um is that Fentanyl is just now recently, as of the last like six months to twelve months, it is actually finally hitting California. But it's not. Oh yeah. It's not entering or being um, smuggled in, laced into other drugs. It's just being smuggled in by itself, and people are just doing fentanyl as it is. Um, you know, and it's not like pharmaceutical grade. It's more like you know cartel synthesized, and um, because. A lot of people aren't part. testing for it. You know, you 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 won't test dirty for heroin or regular opiates or opioids when you do fentanyl, and um, it I've it's like it's kind of scary because um, you know I've been Narcan twice, um, and I you know I, I feel like the overdose rates here are just it's just you know it's it's. I don't know if it's increasing, but I've been on average, I'd say I've probably had to bury like three people every year at the, at the least. 
Yeah. You know? um, it has been increasing in this county since 2005. Yeah, it's so fucked In up. 2017, there were 37 opiate-related <sighs> overdoses. Yeah, and um, and there were you know when Narcan was just like one every ten days, basically. Yeah, I mean, I I'm thankful that Narcan was made available. Uh, The first time I had gotten Narcan, it was from um, a paramedics unit, but the second time it was just someone on the street who was able to have you know a steady supply of it, and he had a lot of friends, and people would call him, and he would just run out and save people's lives because he hell yeah, and I think that should be you know championed and and encouraged you know because yeah some people they they're not going to call an ambulance because they're afraid that they're going to have they're going to go in and then call law enforcement and you know with um these occupancy clauses that are written into the contracts of certain jails and prisons that are privatized or, or whatnot it's basically a fancy way to say we that there's a quota you know regardless of how high or low these crime rates are fluctuating. There's still an incentive to have a jail full to a certain, you know, like percentage. And that's not rehabilitating anyone. That's not teaching anyone any new skills. And that's not teaching anyone to maybe find a, a life that's fulfilling and, and, and has meaning without drugs or it is, it's not doing anything. So, I mean, that's when the, sh- the shitty, like, conspiracy theorists in me start to think, like, well, maybe these people are, like, are some eugenics population control, like, cult leaders. Who knows? Like, I don't ever get into <laughs> David Icke lizard people shit, but I just look at what's right in front of my face. And it's like, they obviously have a value for the life of their families, these politicians and corporate leaders, and they have a value for the people in their inner circles above, you know, people who are may not as well off as them. And it's kind of sad, you know, that it's like who people in who are in power, bankers or whatever, they are the deciding factor of who gets to live and who gets to die in this world, in this country now. So, I mean, I don't know if I'd have, I mean, I'm not ever going to say I have the fucking solution, but I'm, I'm definitely very aware of the problems that are, Persistently. Beware of anyone who does say they have the answer and the solution. Yeah, because they're definitely <laughs> very likely to have an ulterior motive. You know, <laughs> likely to be full of shit. Yeah. Uh, it's usually not one simple answer, right? No, never. It's never. Yeah. It's it's a multitude of different <laughs> things that need to be changed. There's never going to be one thing that magically fixes everything, and it it like. You know, with the kids that are growing up in this kind of world around us, I it's I can imagine and I can empathize with them that it'd be very hard to feel like there's any ounce of hope left within them and their fellow, you know, their classmates or you know, family members. And a lot of, I mean, when I even when I was like a, a you know, getting out of high school, I felt like there's you're not going to have enough band aids to try and remedy this whole these problems. And it's like almost like you just tear it like and you know, as me as an addict. Whenever I had like too many problems, I would just be like, burn down what's going on in my life and rebuild from anew. And, I, and it's hard not to have that mentality with, with our, our society as a whole. Just like, just fucking let it fucking crumble like the house of cards that it is. And let's rebuild something that does work. It's because it's like, it's, I don't know. I guess sometimes I just see certain people who are not willing to step outside of their own belief structure 
you know, as like part of the problem even because it's like I challenge my own ideas just as much as I challenge other people's ideas. And it's like and that's why we need more people like you in bureaucratic systems. Oh, well, thank you. I true. We need more rebels in the system because yeah. right now we are maintaining the status quo and the status quo isn't working and people are dying. Yeah. It's, but people yeah. don't like the system to be disrupted because the system is actually working as it's intended to do because yeah. it makes certain people very profitable. Yeah, and, but that's totally unsustainable, you know, which is like it's like what's going to happen after a few decades more of this? Like, Well, I, violent crime has gone down. Violent crime has gone down in our society. Has it really? And so if you want to if you want to keep prisons full, if you want to keep jails full, you have to criminalize other things it's why we criminalize mm. poverty we criminalize oh, yeah. homelessness we That's criminalize drug use we criminalize things that are nonviolent crimes that yeah. in a libertarian society would not be criminalized because mm. as long as you're not hurting anyone else then fuck it you know um but make like, your own bad decisions <laughs> yeah and and like you know it's funny how we can completely demonize individuals hurting other individuals okay great but what about these white collar crimes that affect millions if not billions of americans you know and and has a, a horrible effect on our country for decades and decades like what the sacklers are doing and what purdue what happened with purdue pharma and, and all this stuff where they knew damn well what was going to happen and the impacts that their products are going to cause on on everybody and oh yeah and it's not yeah. just the difference between like white collar crime and street crime mm -hmm. even within street crime they're targeting certain substances certain communities yep. i will tell you what the best people to deal to are the cow poly kids because they got all mommy and daddy's money and oh yeah none of the cops are going to them and busting them yeah we, everyone learned that out of really young downtown snorting blow yep. in the bathroom of course no they're going and, other places. They're leaving them alone. They're like, that's fine. Okay, go ahead. Oh, um, yeah. It's definitely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's. I mean, the drug war has always been kind of deep-seated with roots of racism and, and, and targeting um, radical political um, extremist groups. And, you know, um, it, it, <laughs> I would, I remember, oh, my God, I remember I would go in your office and I would see your book collection and it was like, Dark Alliance, Gary Webb, and like all these, it was like so overwhelming the amount of blatant, just like, just fuck youery. I would see <laughs> within our government, like, oh yeah, this helicopter, CIA helicopter was crashed with tons and tons of cocaine. And it's like, how is this not like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, like, I back then I was legitimately, like, passionately, like, upset about this. Now I'm just like, dude, I'm not surprised, but I find it, I, I still find it fascinating. So, I got to this kind of point where I would research this stuff and it was like too fucking like paralyzing and crippling. Like, it's just like, just like, fuck, like, wow, like this again and again and again. It's like, when is it going to fucking end? And then, you know, after, you know, you, I, you heard, heard my story when I had testicular cancer and then I started doing mm -hmm. gym dispensaries and then I got pulled over with, you know, inventory and I did like 65 days in LA County jail. And then just seeing how people are treated within the, the, the jails like you know institution where you know i'd see people get put into solitary confinement completely sane and two three months later they were just fucking snapped and you know our our own government steals sanity away from people which i think is the most you know morally irre 
like, you know, it's the fuck's most immoral and most blatantly criminal thing to do to a, a individual who's nonviolent and not hurting anyone else. So, and then, and they, and they want to talk about drugs or bad and this and that, but they're beta testing all these mood stabilizers and psych meds, meds and antidepressants on them within the jail just to keep them docile. And, you know, and loopy is just like, I don't know. It was just like, after so many years of just seeing that around me, as far as my life experience, it's, it's, it's hard to even ever like take anyone seriously who's like, oh, addiction's not a disease. And you're, it's just like, they don't, I don't know. It's like, you, you don't have to do a lot of research to see how horrible, like how many red flags are being raised in 2019 over the last, what, how many, six, 50, 60 years Nixon declared the war on drugs, you know? Yeah. Um, and Henry Anslinger before him, the war on drugs has been going on for a long time. Yeah. And, um, what's crazy is like drugs like DMT, which, you know, yes. Uh, I mean, they have their risks. Don't get me wrong, but it seems like the ones that are the most, um, that cause or open up the most critical thinking within someone's like, you know, mindset, they're the most illegal, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. the ones that numb you out and like, you know, kind of, kind of hinder that kind of form of like, you know, thought process within someone they they're, they're on schedule two uh, but you know below acid and you know other psychedelics and it's like i'm not saying that those drugs don't have their risks they all everything has their risk but well yeah like, but there's also medicinal benefits exactly there's medicinal there's medicinal and therapeutic benefits to actually most substances yeah uh to lsd to to, to like you said dmt to different um, I mean, you can do psilocybin mushrooms. Aren't they going to pass the bill in Oregon? And opiates. I mean, people are self-medicating all the time. Yeah, whether the government the- says so or not. Like, yeah, I remember exactly. there was a guy who was getting like uh, their, their cluster migraine headaches that were like so such bad migraines. He was like com- contemplating suicide, and the he's I guess in this documentary, the only thing that helped him was taking a large like. Terrence McKenna dose of magic mushrooms, which was like five grams or something. Oh, damn. And this guy does, <laughs> he was like a total normie. You could tell he did not like enjoy it, but every month or every two months, it was the only thing that would just make his, his migraines go away. It was, it was really crazy to watch. And I, I heard, I don't know. I haven't really kept up to date, but I heard that Oregon is trying to legalize uh, psilocybin mushrooms. I didn't know if it passed or if they were, if it was still up, I don't, or did you hear anything about that at all? I haven't. I've heard of other states like Nevada recently tried to uh, decriminalize drugs. And I thought Nevada <laughs> had a chance because they were the ones who got prostitution, gambling, and divorce first. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. hey, maybe Nevada's going to do it. But no, Oh, it yeah. Well, I mean, they, I always remember growing up and everyone was like, no, don't go to Vegas. Like one seed will land you in jail for like so long. Um, but it's, <laughs> you know, what has been, fu- been interesting is with the legalization and the recreational laws, uh, concerning cannabis uh-huh. is the effects it has on the stock market and how corporations are now kind of outlying or outlining, um, business strategies and, and techniques where, um, where they're in New, in New York, for example, my, one of my sisters lives in New York and she's talking about all these like companies that are trying to hire on people who are able to actually get their record expunged 
uh, for like these weed, um, these marijuana mm-hmm. charges and, mm-hmm. and hire them and, sh- and fly them out as grow consultants and this and that because they are the people who were doing this and had the experience for years and they know that they're passionate about it. I mean, I mean, when I was in L.A., they had successfully charged me with two accounts of felony intent to distribute f- for managing uh, dispensaries and a grow operation. Well, you go get that expunged. Oh, well, get this. Um, I, yeah, because that was during Prop 215. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time I felt kind of defeated because it was like when you – I even if I were to hear or read felony intent to distribute, that could mean anything, not cannabis. It could mean any drug. You know, so it was almost, and it was it was very difficult to um to get uh, find work, legitimate like nine to five work. But when I moved out of L.A. to San Luis Obispo, and I was on adult drug court, uh, you know, shout out to Judge Harmon. She was like one of the only judges that saw some kind of like you know saw something in me that was legitimate and saw you know you know she saw like I was capable to like you know like be, like not you know you know be a criminal or she didn't look at me as a criminal so they when the um, when i was getting on adult drug court they they carried those felonies over as like wobblers i guess they call them and even before i graduated after it was at uh 64 that made it recreational she got me scheduled back into court talked to the district attorney and they were able to reduce them to uh misdemeanors and then I graduated and they, the misdemeanors were then taken off my record. So it was like, I felt like I was like, actually for once in my life, I was like, all right, there is actual hope, you know, for people out there because for some people, their own, their last chance or their last, you know, the last form of hope they would have would be to like, you know, write to their, you know, Senator to see if they can get pardoned at the end of the election year or something, you know? Um, yeah. And it's like, when, when that's all you have. And even then it's like, that's like last chance. Like I'm hoping, you know? Um, and it's just, ugh. It, I, I know a lot of people are, are considering, you know, just getting the fuck out of the country or at least the state that they're in. But is there anything that you see happening or any kind of laws or legislations? I mean, I guess statewide that show a step in the right direction or any kind of glimpse of like, you know, people finally coming around and seeing that, you know, what we're doing right now is just not working. Because I know in Portugal and Spain and in Switzerland, they're, they're trying much radically different strategies in how we treat ad- addicts. And we're having a lot of decrease in, you know, decrease in, you know, uh, disease and, and crime and, and, and a lot of stuff like that. Um, but do you see anything other than like, you know, I mean, I, I see safe injection sites. I still being, there's a stigma against those, you know, even yeah, methadone well, clinics. Yeah. Well, we, oh God, methadone clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. <laughs> so here's the thing. It's crazy to me that methadone clinics will test people for marijuana use and oh, kick yeah. them out of their programs if they're using marijuana. And those um, are only in the states where they're it's a, still statewide illegal, right? Because well, it depends. It depends. So those kind of policies, when you do any kind of like a treatment facility, which you know mm-hmm. methadone clinics are too, yeah. um, it depends on their resources, their policy. If they get federal funds, generally speaking, mm-hmm. because marijuana is still federally, yeah. um, you know, you kind of have to follow the money, basically. Yeah, I know. But um, 
in terms of our California, the state, what are we doing? Well, I would say the best thing that's at least the most progressive because we were trying to allow safe consumption sites that are safe injection sites, safe consumption sites, basically where people can bring their product um, into a medically supervised setting and consume their substances, mm-hmm. you know, without fear of being arrested or overdosing or, you know, anything like that. Um, yeah. Having, you know, a safe supply of needles and alcohol swabs and everything that they would need, or mm-hmm. if it's, you know, pipes or however they're consuming it, whatever the root administration is. Um, and so California tried to pass, this bill, it passed the House, but it was defeated in the Senate. So okay. then San Francisco introduced something, but California Governor Jerry Brown vetoed it, <sighs> their safe injection site. But just recently, last, well, we're in April now, so it's mm-hmm. February, um, two people in San Francisco reintroduced a bill mm-hmm. to allow San Francisco to operate supervised safe injection sites. Oh, nice. And that's AB uh, 362. And um, I don't know yet what's going to happen. You know, a lot of people, there's a lot of debate about safe injection sites. Like a lot of debate. A lot of people are like, oh, my God, that's enabling drug users. You're, you know, going to have a lot of crime related. A lot of dealing, drug dealings. Um, The one thing, because they do operate all around the world. They operate mm-hmm. in, um, you know, over a dozen countries, multiple cities, Canada, Australia, yeah. around Europe. Um, there's hundreds of them that exist. Probably one of the most notable, at On least site, in right? North America, which is Insight. Oh, Insight. Yeah. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. And that's been in Vancouver since 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, they have had over 2 million injections that have occurred there and not one overdose not one death from overdose right not one death yeah, they've had that's a amazing. few thousand a few thousand overdoses and zero fatalities that's so zero. awesome yeah and that's what you get when you get a medically supervised setting mm-hmm. um they also have a really great detox kind of uh facility as well as a part of the safe injection site you know, and each room, which is nice, has their own bathroom, which when people are detoxing, it's nice to have your own. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's nice to just have a detox facility that's not the fucking county jail. How about Ugh. that? Um, yeah. But <laughs> maybe we need a few more of those. Um, yeah. but we, and so a lot of people are against safe injection sites, but they tend to reduce a lot of drug-related harm. And drug-related harm to me is things like overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's things like public health issues, like diseases, um, like the spreads of HIV and hep exactly, C. Yeah. Um, and hep C is rampant amongst people who inject drugs. Yeah. And um, also, um, what they've also found is it connects more people to treatment. And that's what we all care about, right? Exactly. I mean, I course i'm a harm reductionist but that doesn't mean i want people to use drugs okay i have people i have lost people i love more than anything they did not make it to their 40th birthday because they wanted to defeat drugs and they felt like they couldn't and they would rather be dead than live that life and so they've taken their own lives i've lost people because they have unintentionally had their lives taken because of overdose people i care about more than anything in this world and that is what 
I want to combat. And you can do that with more public health, evidence-based, compassionate policies. And I think safe injection sites is one of them. It's a very contentious debate, though, because a lot of people think, you know, syringe exchange programs are evil. Oh, syringe exchange programs. But you know what? If you go, I actually volunteered at one for many years. We never once had a person come in and say, hey, I've never shot up drugs before. Can you teach me how? Not once. There was not once. It's people who are already doing that, who are trying to at least be safe and smart and educated about it because they don't want to die. And I don't want people, you know, I've had people come to me who have just been begging, crying. Like, I just want to be normal. They don't want a life of instability and being a slave, needing a substance every day just in order to feel well. That's not a fun life. People don't like that life. And so just because we're saying, hey, you deserve a good quality of life. Hey, we want to make sure you're safe. Hey, we want to make sure you're not dying. That can also include treatment. That can also include resources. It's about promoting the quality of life of somebody mm-hmm. and their humanity. To me. Yeah. But I don't know. What do you think about safe injection sites? Yes or no? I I mean, for overall, <laughs> for the most, it's 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 it's, it's a it's um. It's a challenging topic. I mean, and it's so new and fresh. I mean, I'm still, I overall think it's a great thing, especially with needle exchange programs, because when I was active in my addiction and I would go to a, 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 you know, store bought pharmacy and I'd try to buy them myself just with money that I'd try and give them and the looks I would get and the stigma I'd get at, at, not all the time, but sometimes it's like, and it would, I didn't even give a fuck about the stigma because I, I stopped caring what those people thought about me anyway because I thought they were totally arrogant and ignorant to a world that they knew nothing about. But just the, the, the fact that they were not allowing me access to a, a fucking sharp, clean, sterile syringe, it was just ridiculous to me. I mean, people will sharpen their old syringes with sandpaper and, and mm-hmm. r- risk shooting up metal shavings just to register a vein and get well so they can, f- you know, work a nine to five or do whatever it is to get by, you know? And, um, it's like it, the, I don't know. The, the only thing that I look at when like, you know, with kind of like, you know, cause I always try to play devil's advocate and look at both sides, but well, absolutely. Um, the only thing I would, I do see sometimes is, you know, sometimes it, it, I, through the eyes of the dealer, maybe it is, um, you do see more people showing up and in, in line at, you know, whatever safe injection sites selling drugs there. But it's like, the thing is they're going to sell the drugs, whether it be at the safe injection site or, you know, at some trap house or anywhere. So it's like the drug war has already made these, these substances so much like so profitable, you know, it's going to happen whether it's in front of your face blatantly or, or in some alleyway. So, um, the way I see it is, um, I mean, I have my own like belief about what's like perpetuating this whole bullshit war, but I honestly think a lot of these politicians behind closed doors want people to die they want addicts to die off i think they they think they they i think a lot of 
Well, like population control? Maybe. Or maybe. I mean, I think greed and fucking corruption is just as much of a drug that's addictive, just as, just as you know, sex or, or mistreating, being a, a, abusive emotionally to people. Or, or some people, it, their fix is something else. I just think we have such a fucking, like, hypocrisy of what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable or what is more acceptable and what is just like, oh, we're going to put you in jail. I think, and then like you said, it's all about profits. What is the easiest way to put someone in jail and label them a criminal is to say that they're, uh, you know, they're a drug addict, they're a criminal. And it's like a lot, uh, I'd say most of, you know, people I know, you know, they're who are, you know, caught in their addiction. They're genuinely good people who, who do feel guilt and shame and remorse about maybe some of the things they had done to like continue with, you know, their run uh, or whatever, you know? And, um, you know, after talking to people like, like this, this person who is my friend in Switzerland, um, who talks about what it's like in, you know, with the, the healthcare and the programs there, I'm, I think it's a step in the right direction. I think it is so new and experimental. We're still in the process of trying to regulate it and, you know, and uh, hone in and craft it down to, to get a, something better than what we have right now. Um, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. I just don't know. I don't know if I'm confident they would ever try it here because there's just too many people profiting off of it. Just like, you know, DUIs alone, like in San Luis Obispo, that's the moneymaker. And there are so many different entities that want to keep that in going the way it is. Like you said, the probation officers, the bail bondsmen, the courts, the jails, you know, like all these different structures that are are, you know, the DUI classes, they're all making money and I don't see them ever wanting it to change. It's like, you know, it's almost like, you know, we have cars that go 120 miles an hour, yet the speed limit's 65. It's like, why don't we just make cars that only go up to 65 miles an hour? Of course they don't want that because then you don't get speeding <laughs> tickets. And, it's like, you know, it's just like, so, um, and yeah, who knows? Like when it comes to uh, population control, like and do we, are we overpopulated? I and like and I think in the minds of some of these politicians, yeah, because they're greedy and they want to cohort a lot of resources for themselves. But I honestly don't even think that's as major of a problem as it is like the oil companies that are building pipelines that are leaking into our you know rivers and the pollution and the amount of like you know lobbyists that are you know whining and dining, you know, legislation, like, you know, writers to make, you know, make like things acceptable that they, you know, you know, that's like the pharmaceutical industry alone with what happened with uh, Shkreli and, you know, the fucking, um, what was he outrageously like? Oh, Martin Shkreli? Yeah, yeah. He had the, uh, HIV meds. He had the HIV, HIV meds. And then he had like some other, like, um, I don't know. He was just like, it was just, it was just so blatantly like outrageous how much he was like upcharging shit. I was like, are we even in reality right now? <laughs> like this is so absurd. And the fact that capitalism is, is kind of, I don't know, manifested into some beast that's allowing this shit to continue. It's like, I almost wanted to see the whole thing collapse. Like, I mean, it sucks and it's sad to have to actually feel that way. But it's like, who? I mean, I don't know. Like, and that's why sometimes it's hard to even think about it. But it's like when you've lived a life where you see it blatantly in your face all the time, and you see good people uh, succumb to relapse and addiction who who could have had a better chance if we had people in power who actually gave a shit. 
you know, because it's like, I, I just, I don't know. Like I can, I can read bullshit off of some of these people like who, who speak for us or at, you know, for our country. It's just, uh, it's overwhelming. And, um, and that's what a lot of, I guess this podcast kind of revolved around at first, but because, you know, and it's so funny too, because we just started a podcast. We just want to tell the craziest, funniest, or most insane drug stories. And then like (laughs) really fucked up cartoons. And then from that, it's like, we've, I've, I mean, I mean, and me and uh, Ryan would talk about this all the time, but just, it's, it's hard to think about that too long. And it's like, you know, I would talk to my mom about this and she would just be like, I don't want to hear it because it's like, she under like subconsciously, she knows what I, you know, what I'm saying is legit. It's just so depressing, you know, that it's like, well, where do we go from here? You know? Um, and it's like, even the iPhone that's in my hand, you know, Apple was, were building suicide nets outside of their factories because the work conditions were so <laughs> outrageous. People were just jumping off the building everywhere. And so they were building little trampolines to bounce them back into make an iPhone. <laughs> Get and I was back like, to work, bitch. Yeah, yeah, like, it was just like, really? Like, and it's like, we... <laughs> And, and, and then we champion like people like Steve Jobs, who was like an asshole to his employees. And we, we champion people who are like, you know, for, it's just like, it's just, it's kind of just so bizarre. It's like that. What was that movie where the guy had the sunglasses and it's like, he puts it on and like the billboards say obey and shit. It was kind of like that or 1984 or like, or whatever, Brave New World. It's just like, I, it's hard. It's like as, as a 35 year old, like growing up or, and you know, 2019 or, and it's kind of overwhelming, you know? So, um, I, for myself, all I can really do is, is be outspoken and look and, and explore and challenge different, you know, belief systems and ideologies that, um, that are out there and, and to try in some sort of attempt to find something better than what we have now. Um, and do something that I love to do because if I was, if I had to think about all that and work a nine to five that I was just miserable in, I didn't feel satisfied or, you know, it didn't fulfill me. Then I could see even more like, it's like, it's no wonder people use drugs in America, you know? Um, and so it's, it's like, sometimes it's hard. It's really hard for people not to feel lost or feel like where the fuck or have any like amount of hope, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, that's why I love, I would always love getting in these discussions with you and, uh, you were so articulate and, and you've taught me so many like things that I already kind of knew, but I just sounded like some weird, like stoner kid who didn't like have all the <laughs> like facts. And, and I knew that wasn't helping the cause. Like, yeah, man. Like it was, and, you know, like, so I was always like trying to like, listen and, um, you know, I can, and I know for some people, like even thinking about any kind of drug use is triggering to them. So, you know, I think providing like, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube channel or anything that's like teaching people how to, uh, you know, to get by as an addict, it's, um, it's, 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 it's done nothing but help people, you know? So I, that's all I've been trying to do is like document kind of my, you know, where I used to be and how I got to where I am now and, and show that, you know, I'm, you know, people should be constantly trying to like seek some kind of improvement of some sort, you know? So, but yeah, it's hard, you know? And the fact that I've seen you bounce back so many times because you've been through some heavy shit, just like, you know, me, just like a lot of people out there. And 
Um, I think that's the biggest thing is, is not what you've maybe necessarily been through, but how are you able to get back on your feet and keep going down, you know, the path that you know is right and you're passionate about and you, you feel like deep and within you that that's like, you know, the morally high, like right, correct thing to do. Mm-hmm. So if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So um, I have not much time left, but I wanted to ask you, about Kratom and anything about your thoughts about what, how it's been treated or how it's been viewed. And if there's any research that you've come to find about Kratom. Well, I know a lot of people um, will use it because it doesn't, it's not on a regular drug test Mm -hmm. and it has now being under fire from a lot of people. um, Well, government officials and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I am of the opinion, I'm a little bit weird, though, <laughs> that if you have something that helps you in your recovery, more fucking power to you. Yeah. Um, I am not going to look at the person who was IV using every day for 10 days and now chips once a month. I am not going to look at the person as a failure. I'm not going to look at someone who was a full-blown heroin addict who now smokes weed every day and said hey, that person's a failure. Yeah. I'm not going to look at someone who needs Kratom or whatever. You know what? If your recovery works for you, whatever it is, whatever modality mm-hmm. that is, whether it's taking Suboxone, you know, buprenorphine every yeah. day or Kratom or weed yeah. or this or that, or if your life is improved if you feel like you have a higher quality of life, that you're in a better place, mm-hmm. then you know what? That's awesome. People in recovery to me are the most badass people out there because every day they are really trying to have the awareness to fight their demons and their battles and be better than who they were yesterday. And not many people can honestly say that. Mm-hmm. And instead of judging people for how they choose to do it, we should just embrace different modalities of treatment, whatever that is. Yeah, I couldn't I'm not, agree I'm more. not necessarily for Kratom or against Kratom. You know, if it helps someone, then that's awesome. Yeah. Um, it, it was really strange to me because when I had first discovered about Kratom and what it was, it was so unknown to, you know, mainstream society. And a lot of the people I knew within the Kratom community would get upset about people for, you know, promoting it or being outspoken about it because they knew once it got super popular, it would catch the eye of, of, you know, politicians and to the point where they would, they were going to try and do something within like place it on schedule one. And, um, you know, the, 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 the history I've researched on it, it, a lot of places like Thailand and stuff were, demonizing it and passing laws to make it illegal just because it was cutting in on their opium, you know, trades from back then. Um, and it literally grew next to opium poppy fields where some people were chewing the leaves to get off of, uh, you know, harsher opiates. And it's, and mm-hmm. the thing is the molecular structure within Kratom itself, it's not, it's not any, anything, anything similar than heroin or, you know, pain pills or opioids or opiates. Cause I, like my experience, we would take it in drug court and we would pass all our drug tests. And I was one of the first people to fail a test for Kratom because certain counselors found funding somehow to buy these really expensive. Oh, yeah. You have to specifically request those kinds of tests. Yeah. It's it, was, it was very expensive. Yeah, yeah. It was like $125 for one Kratom test for one person. And they'd have to mail yeah. it out to a lab. And uh, it, it, 
I mean, I can, and the thing is I can see, cause I, I've asked a lot of people, what was your experience on it? And, and some people would say, yeah, it made me want to do heroin. And for that person, I would say, well, you need to find, you definitely, I would suggest finding something else that works. But for me, um, I was in drug court and I was still in a kind of emotionally abusive relationship with a girl who, um, you know, was still using and I was not using. And, um, I mean, she would shoot up right in front of me and I would have some of the worst cravings and get triggered worse than I ever was ever. And when I would take Kratom, it was more along the lines of treating the mental, um, symptoms and emotional symptoms that came with, with, uh, cravings and getting triggered. Um, because it does help a little bit with, um, the physical aspect. If you're going through a physical withdrawal, um, it doesn't help as much as, you know, say Suboxone or, or even methadone, but it also doesn't have the come down that those substances have as well. So, um, you know, for me, I would get really bad cravings. And when I would take the Kratom, you know, they would instantly dissolve. And, um, that's where I got my benefit from it. And it's funny is how like the media has, has tried to sway information or stories where they would say, Oh, all these people were overdosed who had overdosed were on Kratom, but then they don't look at the toxicology reports that show, Oh, they're also on fentanyl and antidepressants and this and that. (laughs) And they don't show like, like, Oh, well, how do these substances interact when taken with these substances? So, um, there's a really interesting documentary that Chris Bell made, uh, who had done uh, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, which was the the steroid documentary, and then Prescription Thugs, which was like the pharmaceutical mm-hmm. one. He made one all about kratom, and it was called The Leaf of Faith. And um, I, and it well, the worst part about kratom, at least for my personal experience, was um, for some fucked up reason, my, when I was high and relapsing off of uh, heroin and methamphetamine IV my dad or my and or my mom they thought I was on kratom when I was taking those drugs so when I was clean and buying kratom they thought I was going to turn into some crazy drug addict who was on you know who showed symptoms of heroin and meth use so it was like impossible to convince them that kratom was anything but horrible um and it just it just you know reinforced the power of of negative social stigmas Um, and I, the thing is, is like, yeah, I guess for some people, yeah, abstinent based recovery that works for them. And that's great. And that's the problem is that the, oh, that's the only modality of treatment that is accepted in mainstream culture. Exactly. And that's the problem. And the judgment that comes from people who do. They say out of the millions of people that are in recovery, the millions, less than 10% prescribe to a completely 100% abstinence-based philosophy. So that means there are millions of people out there that are in recovery doing their thing, maybe Mm -hmm. not slamming meth or heroin anymore, but are doing other things and they are still living normal functional lives yeah and there are also people but you know abstinence isn't a bad thing i mean i tell people like if you don't want to overdose or you the bet the surest way is to not do it just like if you don't want to get pregnant the surest way is to not have sex you <laughs> yeah. know i mean abstinence has its you know benefits yeah, and obviously for people if once they start drinking i mean who doesn't make bad decisions when they're drunk come on <sighs> exactly. you know you don't have to be an addict for that <laughs> so yeah 
of course, you know, it can lead one thing to the other, but we need to just, I think, embrace alternative modes of treatment that also includes harm reduction, that includes medication-assisted treatment, um, that's not just completely abstinence-based, because mm-hmm. if, you, if that's your only modality of treatment, you are not meeting people where they're at. You just you're not. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's not conducive for lifelong successful recovery. Yeah. And it's and it's, that should be our goal. Our goal yeah. shouldn't be we want you to be clean for a year so you can pass a fucking program. Our goal <laughs> should be let's do what's in your best interest for lifelong recovery. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and that's meeting people where they're at. Yeah. And 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 you know, it's like how can an addict or a recovering addict even even address the the social negative social stigma against their previous drug use that they've you know managed to stay off of how can they even address any of those things when they're judging people who smoke weed or 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 use you know a less harmful substance to keep them off of things that are just so rampantly more you know have more health concerns or you know or anything yeah. like they're doing yeah. the exact same thing that people are doing to them yeah. and it's just like a revolving My buddy- cycle my buddy just went into the treatment program because he likes to do a lot of blow <laughs> and I'm just going to be real with you. And he wanted to kind of get it in check. So he wasn't court ordered. This wasn't yeah. like, Hey, an ultimatum from a wife. He's a single dude, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was voluntary and went in there and they were talking and he said, yeah, I smoked a bowl today. And she said, you need to get out right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? You come back. And he's like, what? I thought I was, being honest, I uh, and now he's wow. not going to get help for any blow or anything because you know it's an abstinence-based philosophy, and you're going to yeah. trigger other people in the group. And <sighs> I get it, but if the, if other people are going to be triggered, then there should be a harm reduction path where yeah. people can maybe pursue options of kratom or whatever, but also want to stop using other substances that were having a more harmful effect on their life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, and, that's and so what, now he's not getting any treatment. He's getting zero treatment. And, and he probably he's afraid to, he to even show some. up there. He's probably afraid and to even show yeah, up there exactly. to be labeled. Now he hasn't come back. So he <sighs> is now not getting any treatment for his blow problem um, when he kind of needed that. And it's because, oh, well, he's he wanted to continue to smoke weed every now and then. Yeah, I'd be in the program taking Kratom and I would have people who take Suboxone judging me. And it's like, and I would, and it's like, if you want to take Suboxone, that's fine. I'm not going to like argue with you or or look down at you or look at you as different or lesser than for taking Suboxone. But then why would you turn it around and then do the the that to me for taking Kratom? It's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, I think there's a lot of. Uh, you know, entities in power that love to make that differentiate like difference between legal and illegal drugs. And you know, a lot of the you know war on drugs was heavily funded by firearm or you know alcohol and tobacco. So it's like I'm for team caffeine, though. That's basically where I'm at. And coffee's my friend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't. I mean, I admit it's a problem, but <laughs> I can't help it. I can't. Um, oh, fuck. I, I had one other idea in my head, but it, it's gone. Like, I don't know if I, because we haven't talked in a while. I mean, maybe here no. and there on Facebook. But, Hi. Oh, uh, hey. What's up? 
Um, How you doing? Nice to hear from you. Um, How you been? I mean, I know I just briefly mentioned I was going to do an inpatient program, but it was because, you know, yeah. I, I probably had told you I had perfected this wean and, you know, I'd always had a no problem with weaning off of the heavy drugs, but then I never really built a foundation for recovery beyond that. So, you know, two weeks, two months, or even six months, uh, I had to find myself doing a, you know, maybe a week or two week long run and then I'd fucking get off and then I'd get on and it was kind of like of a, I guess, showing signs of like of a chronic relapse or so then, you know, because of certain things happening within my life, I decided to take action and try and try something that I had never tried before and go and enter a, an inpatient program that isn't court ordered, you know, they go. So that's where I'm at now. And, you know, Ryan had just gotten out of, you know, where he had gone and he had vouched for me. And I, and to see the changes, like I had told you before that on the run episode with him to talk to him and to hear him talk about addiction and stuff compared to, to that episode, I saw such a, um, an amazing like change within him. I was like, well, that's definitely what I want. So, um, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, well, I, thank you. And um, so basically I'll probably be uh, – I've been getting um, all these different recordings done so that you know the podcast will continue even though I'll be getting treatment for a couple months. And then once I am allocated more you know, uh, freedoms and stuff, we're gonna st- he's going to get back on and I'm going to make him fucking get on the podcast with me again um, and go from there. But um, it's been an amazing ride and um, – I do have to go because I, I actually did I did three phone interviews today. I don't know how the fuck I did it with, or could have done it without caffeine and my vape like my nicotine vaporizer. But um, is there anything you wanted to plug or anything you wanted to you know say before we let you go? At um, I would definitely love to have you back on. You are like a, just a wealth of information that I've you know I've learned, gained so much knowledge from you out, out of like anyone else. I've like, you know, encountered and it, um, it was always such a delight to like, you know, run across you in the drug and alcohol building. Cause I love, I had, you know what I love the most is the looks on the counselor's faces when you'd be like talking about Narcan in our groups or, um, you know, our, our needle exchange programs, the look on their faces when you'd recommend weed or someone or something like that, it was better than gold. It was better than actual money. I was just like, this is like the most priceless thing. I, I couldn't, you know, there's not enough money that, that would satisfy me, you know, to make this like worth what it is. Like, it's just, so I definitely want to thank you for getting like them offended because that was just, that made my day in drug court. But, um, this definitely won't be the well behaved people, uh, seldom make history. Right. Well, true. You gotta, That's you why know. we need more rebels in the system. Gotta shake it up a little bit. Yeah. But you know what? They they get filtered out of bureaucracy pretty fucking quick. I'll tell oh, you yeah. that much. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, the po- the politics that go on within those you know, within that structure in itself is almost like it's just like a little more watered down form of the politics that inmates deal with when you know carrying out order within the yeah. I mean, jail the system. thing is, this is what people don't realize because I go, hey, harm reduction, blah blah blah. If I had to recommend anything, you know what I would recommend? I would recommend abstinence. You know why? Because when that works for people, that is the most effective, (laughs) you know, because they're not using. And so it's very effective, you know? So that's what I recommend. The problem is that not everyone is ready for it. 
Exactly. They might be in in 10 years. They might be in five years or maybe they never will be. There are Mm -hmm. some people that we meet that we call lifers, right? Yeah. And so what are we going to do with lifers? Are we just going to treat them like shit because they can't prescribe to abstinence? Um, You know, so that's so it's funny because people, you know, I think they have certain preconceptions about harm reductionists and enabling Uh and this and that. And um, I want people to live their best life. And generally speaking, yes, their best life is not um, dependent upon a substance every single day. It's generally not someone's best life, whatever the substance is, whether it's alcohol, weed, whatever, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, But I'm also for the problem is that the war on drugs is an absolute failure and it kills people. And it the prohibition and the crime associated with it Mm -hmm. is because of how we're running things. It's insane to me that we will release people from our jail at midnight. Oh, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll detox them. Now their tolerance is completely low. And then, boop, they go, midnight release. It's insane to me. But we do that all the time. And then we expect people to be successful. We expect them with all this stigma and everything that they're facing to be successful. And then when they're not successful, we criminalize them. And it's it's absolutely nuts. And it has to change. And enough people have to care to make it change. And I'm all for places like San Francisco doing safe injection sites. Mm -hmm. And I am also all for places like Bible Belt, Louisiana, doing abstinence only education. I'm actually all for both. Let's run our social experiments and Mm -hmm. see what does better when we criminalize people or when we treat them with a public health approach and compassion. And generally speaking, what society has taught us and global policy has taught us is that what is more successful is a public health based approach. Yeah. And then we've done all the we've done a, a plenty of research with the criminalization aspect of it. And, um, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. We That's what our overall message, underlying message, we, we try to promote every you know the beginning of it or end of every episode here is that, you know, I would say I would rather you didn't want to use those drugs or rather you didn't make the decision to use those drugs. But if you are going to make that decision, regardless of what I suggest to you, at least be as safe as possible about it, you know? Um, and that's all you can really do. You know, like we saw what dare did. Dare didn't do anything except make people more yeah, want to you do. You know what I like to hear? Having a cop teach dare is like having a nun talk about sex. You know, it's like, <laughs> come on. Like, um, I don't want to hear about drugs from a cop. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, That's he the last person I want to hear. He know? doesn't know how to fucking party or anything, dude. Yeah. He doesn't know how to you know, oh carb a bong God. or anything. Yeah, like, what the fuck? <laughs> he doesn't know how to... He does, like, if anything, like, I don't want to hear about him. He doesn't know how to ride through a bad acid trip or something, like, you know? Like, all he is there to do is, is to... Is I am to a play... certified trip babysitter, just FYI. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not certified, but before those were a thing, that was like my Craigslist business. I was like, I will drive you around. I will make sure you're safe on your acid trip, and I will take you to places that have great sunsets, and I'll play the best music, and I'll smoke you out with the best weed. I I did that all the time because a lot of people that knew nothing about set and setting. That is so funny that you brought that up. Like, 
and, and you know what? I saw articles where people are charging like thousands of dollars to be a trip babysitter. I'm like, whatever, you hipsters. Like, I was doing this oh for free. Oh, my God. Well, the whole ayahuasca thing that's taken off in, you know, Peruvian shamanistic cultures and stuff. I mean, we're kind of bastardizing it and exploiting it, but still. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah, I mean. It's a huge industry. It's guiding huge. people on their trips. Because oh, who yeah. doesn't the thing is? Here's the thing. Drugs are not all bad. Why? If no one would use them, if they were all just bad. You know, exactly. People, they can, they're all so fun. It's uh, like, people, yeah. People like to expand their minds. People like to get high and fuck. People like to get <laughs> high and do other things. I mean, it's just, it's true. It's not just all this negative, horrible shit. And we have to kind of, I feel like people try to um, brush that under the rug. Mm -hmm. You know? Oh, I know. Like, I mean, oh, and look no, at the side no. effects of ayahuasca. It's like you're you're like piss, you're shitting yourself and puking and rooster tailing everywhere, and and still people do it. It's like there's got to be something beneficial out of that, you know. Yeah. Um, I had never done ayahuasca personally, but I mean, I know isn't isn't DMT extracted out of ayahuasca, or is that a different psychedelic entirely? Or did you... I was under the impression they were different psychedelics entirely. Okay. One is like a root based and one is more molecular kind of chemical based. Did you um, like Ibogaine? Ibogaine is illegal yeah. in our country. Yeah. And that helps remove withdrawals immediately. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I but was on someone's podcast. Yeah. yeah. There's someone who does a podcast who's in act in active addiction and he's um, trying to get into an Ibogaine uh, clinic um, oh, outside of like the in country. Mexico? Yeah, uh, they have a few. They have some Tijuana. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's amazing. And then you know, the more research I did on ayahuasca, they were asking these uh, shaman and these tribes, like, because you know, in these rainforests and these jungles, there are thousands of different types of species of different plants, and I think the root that they use and the um, I guess the M the five meo like inhibitor that allows you to like like intake the the ayahuasca they grow on opposite ends of like these forests and they would ask these tribes they're like well, how did you know to take this one plant and combine it with this other plant out of thousands of different plants and they said oh the, the like the forest told us to and i was like the, oh, i have no explanation there's something beyond my perception that's causing some crazy shit to go on but um I have to go. I am starving. And, yes, um, go get some food. I've been on the phone with you for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I've done podcasts much longer than this, but I, it was such a no pleasure way. having you on. Um, okay, we'll edit it. You know, cut me down to like 20 seconds. <laughs> No, like everything you said was gold. You're always welcome to come back. If you have any other like new legislation that's coming up or any new topics that you wanted to, you know, talk about on here, you're always welcome to. And if okay. there's anything you need wanted to plug, always here. Um, All right, eighty three sixty two San Francisco safe injection sites, talk about it. Awesome. I'm I'm all for it because it's a three year uh, study and we need to talk about it right now the streets of san francisco are littered they're, yeah needles. they're horrible right now and yeah. the citizens of san francisco overwhelmingly because it's everywhere because it's not completely swept under the rug because it's so much in the public eye mm -hmm. they are completely actually on board it's they're receiving Good. a lot of support for this Good. and now that newsom is governor he is actually supporting it because he was big in san francisco you okay know? good yeah because i mean so it has it has chances of actually passing so we might see a san francisco supervised injection facility in the next you know few years if anyone needs it san francisco in our state needs it really bad oh yeah seen, you know, so all right katie well thank you so much again for coming on and i will keep you in touch uh, and 
or I'll stay in touch with you. Um, and thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. For sure. All right, take care. Bye, you too. It's fucking hot.